hey, I know a lot of you guys who are listening to the Dad Tired Podcast would love to get connected with other guys in your area, maybe just for find other friends who are like-minded or maybe get part of a small group or something. We'd love to have you do that. We have a bunch of guys all over the world who listen to the Dad Tired Podcast. If you go to dadtired.com and then you just click the community tab, you'll actually see a map of all the Dad Tired guys and the small groups happening around the world. You can click that and find one in your area. If you don't see one in your area, you can sign up to be a host. It's super easy. There's no big, like, we don't put you through any tests or anything or trainings or anything. You, you just have to say, like, hey, I live in this area. And then other guys will see that you are there and they can get connected with you. And you can, you guys can decide what you want to do. You can discuss the podcast or go through one of the Dad Tired books or whatever you want to do. But we're just trying to get like-minded guys connected. So go to dadtired.com, click the community tab. You'll also see we have an online group that's not on Instagram or Facebook or any of the social media platforms. It's kind of our own little space on the internet that's not distracted. You're not going to get like, you're not going to, I mean, if I'm just speaking like really honestly as dudes, you're not going to see things on there that are going to make you stumble. <laughs> you're not going to get distracted by, well, I could list all kinds of things. But anyway, it's just a, it's just a cool little platform where it's just the dad tired guys talking to each other about like, what does it look like for us to be the men God's calling us to be? So again, you can find that on the community tab if you just go to dadtired.com. I love you guys. Hope you enjoyed this episode and it helps you fall more in love with Jesus and help your family do the same. Well, Pat, we were just talking right before I hit record and you were asking a little bit about my family and myself and you asked how old I was and, and I told you I was 35 and you said that was the perfect age or such a great age. And I, as a 35-year-old, I've got mixed feelings about being 35. <laughs> so I asked you, you know, why? Why is that, why is that such, a, um, such a good age? And anyway, you started to share with me, but I was like, I have a feeling what you're about to say is probably going to be really good. So I hit record. And let's just jump right into that, man. Why, why do you say we got a lot of listeners who are probably going to be around my age? And, and so I'd love to just hear your thoughts on a 35-year-old man. There's a police chief, used to be a police chief in Charleston, South Carolina. And he's the first person I heard talk about this. But he said, if we could just keep these young men alive until they're 35 years of age. Hmm. He said, at 35, something happens. There's a, a switch gets flipped and, and a young guy really wants to buckle down and, and be a good husband or get married. He wants to have a, a family or be a good dad to the kids he already has. And suddenly at 35, he's willing to take a job that 10 years earlier, he would have turned his nose up at. Mm. So 35 years of age, and you can find a lot of anecdotal research on this. Let's just say 35 years of age, plus or minus two or three years. I have confirmed with so many men, including myself, happened to be 37 when I really got serious and buckled down. 35 is just a, a great, wonderful age. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're in your 30s, it's a great time. And guess what? It gets nothing but better from here. That's encouraging to hear. You know, there's part of me that's just like, man, I thought I'd be a lot further along in my journey. <laughs> I thought I'd be a lot more mature in all Aaron, the ways. You just, you, just, you just said that because you're under 35. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Now here's the here's the truth. It, yeah. Here's the truth. Listen, guys, if you're listening, most of the really big ideas about Christianity take 10 or 20 years to sink in. Hmm. Think about it. Grace. What in the world's grace? Sovereignty. What in the world's sovereignty? I mean, I was a Christian for 14 years before I actually understood what grace was. I knew I was saved by faith, but I figured that it was up to me to prove that God hadn't made a mistake. And so I was like into this works theology, just mm. trying to prove that I was good enough to, uh, I wanted to 
earn with merit that which can only be received as a gift. And so, yeah, if 35 is a great age. <laughs> How is your brain transition? You touched on a little bit, but maybe brain isn't the right word. Maybe heart and soul. How would you define grace now? Yeah. So by the way, with regard to distinction, distinction between mind and heart. So the Hebrew word for heart includes intellect, will, and emotion. So we mm. use the word mind today. The Jewish Bible would have said heart. Mm. It's, I mean, you know, some theologians could probably parse a distinction, but we're really talking about the same thing. Mm. And uh, let's not make a mountain out of a molehill here. You know, it's the mind and the heart, same thing. So, yeah, so I built a, a big business here in the state of Florida. Actually, it's one, one of Florida's 100 largest privately held companies by the age of guess what? 35. And I thought to myself, wow, there's got to be more to life than this. There's just got to be. I hated my life. And I was already a Christian. So I called a timeout, which, you know, I thought would last for a couple of weeks. I'm a really smart guy. Right. And, uh, you know, I get it all straightened out, you know, God and I get back together. We get right, you know, lucky God, what a trophy for God. (laughs) Imagine how happy God's going to be, you know, now that I'm back on his side, you know, but he kind of said, uh, well, now that I have your attention, there's some things I've really been wanting to show you. And so I spent the next two and a half years basically staring at my navel. And at the end of all of that, it was in a business crisis of my own making. And I was sitting around the rubble all that one day. And I was just pouring my heart out to God. And I was just saying, God, I don't understand. You know, I've worked so hard, you know, to be acceptable to you. I've, I've worked so hard to be the, the father to my children that my dad wasn't to me and to be the husband that you want me to be who's there and in her life. And Lord, you know, I've conducted my affairs with integrity and I'm writing all this out every day. And so on this particular day, I, I wrote all of that. And then I said, and you know how I've been trying to be a, a man of integrity, good steward with the resources. You know how many little old ladies I've helped across the street. God, you know, all these things. Just, I need some relief here. I need some help. And Jared, Guys, just like we're talking right now, I, I heard this voice in my head. Now, I'd, at that point, I'd been a Christian for 14 years, hmm. but I heard this voice in my head, and, and this voice said, Pat, nothing you do will ever make you good enough for me to love you. I love you because I made you. And that, boom, just in that instant, for the very first time in my life, I understood grace. Mm. It radically changed my life. Wow. In fact, it led me from business to ministry. So, <laughs> Yeah. You've uh, spent a long time in ministry working with men and trying to understand men, what they are going through and trying to encourage men. How did that happen? Like, What was your, out of all the directions you could have gone, why did you focus on trying to see men come to know Jesus and follow him more closely? Oh probably for the same reasons you are, you know, you have this broken past or this uh, past that didn't go the way you thought it should go. Mm-hmm. When I, my dad, when he grew up, he, his dad abandoned him when he was two years of age. He was the youngest of four kids. And so he never felt the scratch of his father's whiskers. He never heard his father reading him a bedtime story, never tossed a ball in the background and basically was left to guess at how to be a a father to my three younger brothers and me, went to a church. Church did not have a vision when he walked in the door with his wife and four kids. The church, our church did not have a vision for why did he just do that? What are the problems he's trying to solve? 
what does he need from us? How can we give it to him? Instead, they had a vision to do work, good work. And so things like fertilizer sales and things like that. And my dad had a great work ethic. He'd had to, he went to work when he was six, had two jobs at the age of six, a bread truck and then a paper route before wow. school. Yeah. So he had a, an incredible work ethic. So when they asked him to do the work, he stepped up and he ended up being the top layman of the church by the age of 40. I was 16 at the time, the oldest of four. Something happened in the church and we left. We de-churched when my dad was 40 and I was 16 and they never re-churched. As you can imagine, and then the wheels really came off the wagon. I was in the 10th grade at the time. I quit high school in the middle of my senior year. My next brother followed in my footsteps. He died of a heroin overdose. My next brother never held a job for more than six months until he turned 50. And my youngest brother is a recovering alcoholic and divorced. And my dad just never saw it coming, you know. So obviously, as you would guess, I probably had a pretty low view of the church. But then uh, when I was hitting the peak of success and just life was so miserable, I decided that I needed to turn to the only place I know in the entire world that is actually designed to help give a young man some help on how to be a godly man, husband and father, and that's the church. Mm-hmm. And when I opened the door to the church, my wife and I raised our kids in, we had a very different, I had a very different experience. There were some young guys in there that they looked like you, Jared. They were like these special forces, SEAL Team 6 covert <laughs> operators. You know, they were just all, they were so ready for us. They knew exactly why I had opened that door and they were all over me. And so upshot is they took me under their wings, discipled me, showed me how to be that godly man, husband and father that we all want to be. Yeah. And uh, that's the difference between my dad's family and mine. And so the reason I'm so passionate about helping men is I have seen the difference that discipleship can make in a man's life. Amen to that. You wrote a book called The Christian Man, a conversation about the 10 issues men say matter most. I'm curious, you know, we don't have time to get into all 10 of those, but what are some of the top ones from your perspective of working with men? And we've got a lot of men listening right now. What would you say are like some of the top issues that men are facing There are three or four top pain points. Number one is career. Number two is marriage. Number three is children or family. And then overarching all of this is just how to balance that all out. This is what showed up in the research. I did primary research to put that book together. I pulled 24 young guys together in their 20s and 30s and asked them, what are the issues that are of most concern to you? And so And then we asked specific questions about each of these issues. We came up with these 10. It was interesting. It could have been 9, 10. It could have been 11 or 12. There were like 38 total issues, I think it was. Hmm. And then when I gave them the opportunity to vote, we did a storyboard. Some of your listeners probably are familiar with storyboarding. It's basically, I won't go into it, but it's a way to democratize Mm -hmm. brainstorming. And so the, 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 the 24 guys, they voted the 10 top issues. And it was very clear, clear line of demarcation. The things that are not in the book, they were much, much lower on the list. But those are the big pain points that guys feel. We have a group called Mirror Labs. It's uh, the R&D division of Man in the Mirror, Mm -hmm. mirrorlabs.us. 
and Jeremy Shirky, our executive director, he's 36, former pastor uh, like you and a former missionary to Haiti. And hmm. he's uh, really engaged in helping men in the mirror reach men in their 20s and 30s. And he and I, we were agreed on the pain points. In your recent book, you wrote The Four Voices. You kind of narrowed it down to these four voices that men are constantly hearing in their head. I'd love to I'd love to kind of spend a little bit of time on this one, because as a young guy, I've never been, well, actually I have been, I I went to the doctor and they did tell me I have ADD. I haven't, I've never been medicated for it, for it, but I just, I feel like I got 400 voices in my head uh, at all times. And I think a lot of men feel that just busy. Like there's a million things going on in their mind. Some of it just random thoughts. Uh, Some of it's just a flood of shame. Some of it's things in the past. Some of it's anxiety about the future. Uh, I'm trying to be a good husband and I want to be an engaged father and I need to follow you. You just got so much, but you talk about kind of the four voices. Can you unpack those for me? Yeah, I will. And let me make a quick distinction too, between thoughts. Yeah, we have a million thoughts, but they're coming from one of five places. They're coming from you or they're coming from one of these four other places. Hmm. Biblically speaking, this is, this is how it works. So listen, guys, We all know that we have a running conversation with ourselves all day long. We call that self-talk and we need self-talk because self-talk is how we pull the different bits and pieces, uh, random random bits and pieces of our lives into some kind of a congruent story to help us make sense of our lives. That makes sense, right? But here's the issue or the problem or the end, the opportunity as well. You're not the only voice in that conversation. There are four other voices that are constantly exerting themselves to influence what we think, say, and do. Hmm. Are you ready? Those four voices, guys, you ready? Those four voices are the world, the flesh, the devil, and the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Our job is to figure out which voice is speaking and then make the adjustment. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to write this book to to uh, basically tell each of the bad voices, the naughty voices, to go into their corners and then take a chapter and really explain how that works. Because as you know, these voices, world, flesh, and devil, they're often talking over each other. Rarely do they, does one of them raise their hand and say, <clears throat> excuse me, could I have uh, your attention so I can speak <laughs> right. for a moment? They don't, <laughs> that's not how it works. But I wanted to help men figure out men in particular, figure out how to parse these voices. And so that's what this book is all about, how to understand them and then how to get control of the conversation. Yeah. I'd love to talk about like, what, how do you parse them out and kind of figure out, okay, this keeps replaying in my mind, or this is a thought that I keep having. I'm trying to figure out, is this just, was this the lunch I ate or was this, is this like the enemy trying to, to, you know, speak to me? Is this the Holy Spirit trying to speak to me? How do you start to tease those things out? Well, knowledge is power, right? And so, you know, that's the whole reason for writing the book. Knowledge is power, but let me give you a couple of examples. So the world, when the Bible talks about the world, it's not talking about that part of the world, which Francis Schaeffer, the great theologian of the 20th century, would have said there's a lot of leftover beauty in the world. So the world that the Bible talks about is the fallen world. Right. Frodo said, there's a lot of good in the world and it's worth fighting for. So that's not the world the Bible is talking about. It's the fallen world. So how does that work? 
Well, let me give you an example. When I was a young guy in my early 20s trying to get my first career break, I uh, had an interview with a guy I really wanted to go to work for him. He said, I think you have a lot of promise. The problem is you don't have enough gray hair. You're too young to make a difference. Oh, my gosh, you're too young to make a difference. Hmm. So that's the voice of the world. But then I have older guys tell me all the time that they hear, you know, you're expendable. We don't need you anymore. You know, you're past your prime. We can't use you. And so the world, again, says if you're old, you can make a difference. So here, watch, guys, watch this. The voice of the following world is telling you that it doesn't make any difference if you're young or old, you really can't make a difference. Hmm. But the Bible gives a very different report. Joseph, David, Jesus, they all started careers at the age of 30 and did some of their very best work in their early 30s. And on the flip side, you look at people like Moses, Abraham, the Apostle Paul, they did their best work. They played their best music in the last one third of their lives. So the Bible says it doesn't make any difference if you're young or you're old. You can always make a difference. Hmm. So that voice, uh, you know, that a lot of guys had that tape going in their in their minds that they can't make a difference. It's just not true, guys. And so what I've done in this, this book, you know, uh, The Four Voices, is I've given you a lot of practical ways to identify specific scenarios, but then also, in addition, tools to make the adjustment in, in the book altogether. I think I've got 27, 27 different specific tools that are described in the Bible to help make the adjustment to those voices. Can you give us some of those? Yeah, I can. So I've been doing this for several decades. We started a Bible study in a bar in 1986, left business in 1991, started Man in the Mirror. We uh, work with thousands of churches and and have worked with millions of men all over the world. And it's almost a little embarrassing, Jared, but at this particular point, after all these decades, I could say this. If, If I could only get a man to do three things, I would say, here's the way I put it. A Bible, a small group, and serving someone else will solve 90% of your problems. Hmm. Yeah. So the first is the Word of God. When I'm speaking somewhere, generally, after I'm done and everybody has come up to say thank you or, <laughs> or terrible job or whatever it is <laughs> they do. Actually, I've never had to make so many terrible job. But I'm sure I've had many people think it, but nobody's ever said it. <laughs> But uh, after people come up and think, and usually have a question, a short question, there always seems to be one guy who's hanging back, shoulders shrugged a little bit, very negative body language. And uh, when he comes up to me, he will say something like, I'm thinking of Tom, a uh, developer in Nashville, for example. One day he came up and he said, could I talk to you? I said, sure. What's going on? He said, well, my business is not doing very well. I'm taking on my wife. You know, my, I think my family has had enough of me and, you know, I just don't know what to do, don't know where to turn. I said, I understand, I understand. Can I ask you a couple of questions? He said, yeah. And I said, well, tell me about your Bible reading habits. And he looked shocked and then his chin fell to his chest and he sort of muttered, well, to be honest with you, I really haven't been reading the Bible very much lately. I said, I understand. I get it. Let me ask you a second question. Who is your best friend or are you in a small group? And again, his chin fell to his chest and I could barely hear him. He said, well, I used to be in a small group, but to be honest, you know, since this has been going on, I've kind of dropped out. And I said, I understand. I understand. 
And then I told him what I'm going to tell you listeners now, after all these decades of working with men, if I could only ask men to do two things, it would be to read the Bible for yourself on a regular basis and get into the word. Because when you actually read the word of God for yourself, the the Holy Spirit then has the opportunity to quicken different yeah. Uh, words and verses to your heart and mind, heart or and or mind, like we are talking about earlier. So yeah, just to, to be in the Word of God for yourself. I have one Bible goal for myself, and that's to read the Bible cover to cover once a year. And I use all kinds of different reading plans. I don't try to do it, you know, 15 minutes a day, every day or anything like that. I just know I do try to keep on a schedule for uh, knocking it out each week. But if I uh, have a, an early morning meeting or get up on the wrong side of the bed, I don't worry about it. But I do know this. When December 31 rolls around this year, I will have completed reading the Bible cover to cover 35 times. Wow. So from 35 to 70, let me just tell you that. That's one way to. I started when I was uh, actually I started when I was 36. That has radically transformed my life and the life of many, many other men that mm-hmm. I've encouraged to use the one-year Bible reading programs. Yeah. There are many of them. Yeah. And then secondly, it's just to be in a small group. I could tell another story too, but I'll pause here and just see where you want to go from here. Yeah. So did I hear two? So you said, if you could just encourage every guy right now, 90% of the things that you're dealing with would probably be fixed. If you get in God's word, number two, get into, have a friend or some type of small group. Was there a third? Did you say there was a third? Yeah. Group? And then serving someone else. Well, serving, serving someone, someone else. else. Yeah. 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 That's the antidote for a pity party. All these things are in the book, by the way. Yeah. That's the, uh, serving someone else is the antidote for a pity party. So I was, uh, let's say 30 years old and we, let me see. No, I was 32 years old and we had a uh, race ride in Orlando. Made the evening news. I went home and I was moping around the house. And my wife said, you know what you really should do? You you should really go, you know, you just have a pity party. What you really should do is you, you should go do something positive. You should go serve someone. Hmm. And just right like that, I knew she was right. And so uh, I did. I, I invited 20 men to come together, 10 black, 10 white, really just the idea of just spending time getting to know each other. We met one Saturday morning a month for five years. And it was phenomenal uh, wow. in terms of you know turning things around, not only for me, but for some of them as well. Wow. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying today's episode. My least favorite part of running a nonprofit for dads is trying to fundraise. I hate it. I'm not good at it. <laughs> and, and some of you guys have reached out to me and like, Jared, you should be better at this because Uh, That's what nonprofits do. I'm just not very good at it, man. You know, I'm like you. I've I've always been skeptical when people, you know, are asking for money and your churches are asking for money. We just are always getting asked for money. I'm like, what are you spending your money on? Is this really making a cause, like an impact for the kingdom and all that stuff? So I don't like it. But here's the thing I know for sure, dude. Dad's hired this ministry by God's grace is reaching tens of thousands of guys, if not hundreds of thousands of guys around the world. And I hear stories all the time of how this particular ministry, the podcast, the books, the conferences, all that stuff is changing lives. And it's changing the way that you guys are parenting your kids and you're discipling your kids and the way that you treat your wife and uh, your intentionality as a husband and a father and disciple. And so I just really, really believe that God is using this ministry. If I mean, for the first five and a half years of this ministry, I didn't collect a dime for a paycheck. 
And that's because I just believe in it so much. I, I would do this if it wasn't a job. Like I just fully believe that God is using this to change the world and to change families for generations to come. And uh, I want more guys to experience it. And that's why I'm, I like always talk about it. I'm always asking you to tell your friends about it. And because I just really believe like we don't need more fluff. We don't need more pull yourself up by your bootstraps and like get your life together. We just need guys that can really understand who Jesus is. And when we do, like when we understand that God should have bailed on us, but he didn't. And as a result, like he's changing us. And as a result of that, our families are changing. Our marriages are changing. It's just crazy, man. God's using it for his glory in huge ways. And I think we need more men to understand that message. And when they do, the whole world changes. I know that sounds fluffy, but I like genuinely believe it. So as anything else, man, like, you know, this in order to like spread the message and to grow a team and to like do all that, it just costs money. And so if you believe in all that, if you're like, man, okay, I actually do believe in that. I do think that when men understand this gospel message and they're changed by Jesus, everything else changes for good. We would love to have you partner with us, man, chip in a couple bucks a month and just help us grow this thing so that we can see dad tired impacting lives all over the world. One of my goals, I have so many goals, dude. We're we're working on a ton of stuff, really fun stuff. We've got a retreat this fall. Anyway, I know we're in the middle of the episode, so I'm going to shut up here soon. We got a lot of cool stuff going on, but one of my dreams for the next year for, for over the next 12 months is that we would do 12 dad tired conferences completely free all over the country. And this would be free for the churches that are hosting them. And it would be free for the people who come. And the, the goal would be just bring as many dads and men as you can, neighbors, friends, whatever, and just like come and hear what does it look like to be changed by God and then have him change our hearts in such a way that our families and our marriages are changed. And I want just to do all that for free. Right now we have small costs to that, but my dream would be to do a bunch of those all over the country for free. That's like one of a million dreams that I have and things that we're working on. So anyway, if you're like, dude, that sounds sweet and we need more of that kind of stuff, we would love to have you partner with us. So that's my stumbling way of asking you to join us in this mission. If you want to do that, go to dadtire.com forward slash give, become a monthly partner with us and it would just help us a ton, man. And I think that we can continue to see God's glory spread all over the world and in our neighborhoods and in our homes. All right, that's me done being rambling. I love you guys. Let's jump back in the episode. Yeah, I want to I want to give a real quick practical one. We I love the idea of going through the Bible in a year. That's something my wife and I have been trying to do for the last several years. We use the Bible Project. They've got it on the on the Bible app or the U version. U version has like a million <laughs> Bible reading plans and go through the Bible in a year. So you can find, we personally, we really like the Bible projects because it kind of gives, it gives a video before every book and they break things down. So that's been really helpful for us, but yeah, that's a game changer. I do want to kind of pick your brain on that second one, which is finding a friend or, or being part of a small group. So many guys, this is like, this is a big hesitancy for a lot of guys finding a friend that they can walk through life with in a really real way. And you've spent a lot of time with guys. I'm curious to know, like, what has your experience been? In my experience working with guys, it's they don't really want to be around, or I guess they, I should just say more bluntly, they feel more comfortable around their friends at work than they do the guys at church because those guys are usually more authentic and honest, they feel, than the guys that they're meeting at the church. And it's just hard to find these like real friendships where it gets under the surface. What's your experience been in that? Yeah, I don't believe that's true, actually. It might be the appearance of things. And that would mm. probably be the voice of the devil trying to convince you that that's the case. Mm. Like attracts like. If you know God, 
and you want to have a deep, authentic conversation, you're not going to have that deep, authentic conversation about things that really matter with somebody who doesn't share your belief system. So here's the thing. We see this all the time. So I've been teaching at Bible studies, I said, since 1986, still going. And we have table tables at the Bible study. And so each table has a leader. New guys come in all the time. And here's the thing. When a guy arrives, generally, he thinks that he's doing his friend a favor, getting this guy who keeps bugging him to come to the Bible study to get him off his back and do it once. And he says, there's no way I'm going to say anything about anything to anybody until he sits down. And, And then he sees the other guys talking about usually the topic of the day and just expressing themselves in real genuine ways. And then he might not speak the first week, the second week, maybe even the third week. Who knows? Maybe it's the fourth or fifth or sixth week. I had one guy who came for six months before he ever spoke Wow! out loud at the Bible study. Wow. But here's the thing. Once he started talking, couldn't shut him up <laughs> because it took him that long. He's got a father wound. Sounds like maybe you and I do. And he's got a father wound. And so for him to trust another guy, it was just not going to happen quickly. And yeah. the leader had the wisdom not to lean in on him, just gave him the, the opportunity to come along at his own pace. And, but when he did finally reach that point where he said, you know, I think these this really would be a group of guys that would care about me personally. And he opened up radically transformed his life. Mm. I've never seen anything like it in my life with him and many other guys too. So the Bible, definitely number one, that's El Supremo. Here's the thought I had this morning. This is for my Bible study that I'm going to teach on Friday. The least wise believer is wiser than the wisest non-believer. And that's because Belief separates a man from a temporal life of 80 years and an eternal life. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says that he said, he started to Timothy about, you know, the scriptures that made you wise Hmm. for salvation. So the scriptures is, is always going to be number one. Then number two, I know God is real because I actually see him in my friends and the guys that I meet with. It just makes the gospel literally come to life. Hmm. And to be able to have a guy share his deepest, darkest concerns or giving me the opportunity to do the same. And then to share the joys and the victories when guys overcome tremendous hardships. This is uh, doing life in community, a small group. of community. It's a community. That's the way that Jesus did it. Jesus formed a small group himself. Uh, this, uh, this is not a new idea, you know, 12 guys. And uh, then he did life with them together. He loved them. He uh, trained them. They did life together. One of them turned out to be a bad guy. And so that, you know, that's a, a normal expectation. <laughs> so one out of 12 is 8.33% of guys. I don't think that's necessarily normative or predictive, but it's probably not a bad rule of thumb that maybe 10% or so. <laughs> The guys that are going to work out, you know. <laughs> that's funny. That's the first time. That's the first time I've heard a, a, a statistic on on the uh, <laughs> measurement of group. success was for your, of your small group. That's really funny. Yeah, I I wonder too if how much of that having a group of guys around you, having some godly minds to bounce things off of, if it goes back to the four voices you were talking about, like 
it's really hard to distinguish what voice is speaking to me. I guess it's harder to distinguish and, and until I have a bunch of guys who I know love me and love the Lord around me. You know, I'm thinking of communities too and, and godly women too who are part, even godly children around me where I can like, just having this godly community where I can say, listen, I'm wrestling through this stuff and to have their wisdom and the Holy Spirit working through them to kind of speak and give me clarity. And it's like, oh, that was, a, that was actually one of the, that's the voice of my flesh or that's actually the enemy lying again. And to hear some perspective from other godly believers who can point me back to, oh, no, that's actually the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you know, a lot of guys are doing this book uh, one-on-one in small groups. It's like if you're, let's just say you're the worst player on the worst NFL team in the entire league. Right? 49ers. Okay, no, I'm tracking. Or the, or the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> okay, so you're the worst player on the worst team in the NFL. You still have to know every play in the playbook or you're not going to get in the game. Yeah. Yeah, you have to have the knowledge. So this can't just be kind of like, oh, I feel like that might be this voice or I feel like it might be that voice. So in the uh, chapter, for example, on the world, there's a, I've got a, a few texts associated with each of these, but, you know, see to it that no no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world. And there's so many verses on the world. There's so many instructive verses about the flesh. You know, the flesh wants what's contrary to the spirit, the spirit what's contrary to the flesh. Paul himself said, I don't know why I do what I do. What I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. You know, who's going to deliver me from this? And then uh, in the devil, you know, guys, you may think the devil is a figment of people's imagination or a social construct, but Jesus didn't think so. About about 25% of the 90 verses in the Bible that refer to Satan or the devil come from the lips of Jesus. Wow. Jesus identified Jesus identified the devil as a real entity. And so knowing how to distinguish the devil's voice, that's a number of exercises and practical ideas in this book to help with that. But here, but 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 for those guys who are not going to get the book, just understand this about the devil. There are two narratives in the Bible about the devil. Narrative number one is the narrative uh, where we get to make fun of the devil. He's a washed up angel with a lot of nicknames. Uh, He's a a gnat, a flea, a bug that you can tick, you can flick him off the corner of your shoulder. He doesn't have any power except that power which God gives him the permission uh, to pursue, like in the case of Job or the uh, Jesus said, Peter, Satan is asked to be able to tempt you. And so God allowed that. Satan is not omnipotent. He can't be everywhere. He doesn't know everything. He is very limited in power. His only power is deception. Men will say, well, the devil made me do it. That's not true. It sounds Mm. funny, but the devil can't make you do anything. Mm. His power is limited to deception. He's a deceiver, called the deceiver in the Bible. So he can tempt you, but you're the one who did it. So having understanding these things is very important. He's like the cussing parrot on your shoulder that's whispering in your ear. And you can tell him to shut up anytime you want, but you have to know how to do that. The second narrative, though, we have to take the devil seriously because he is the CEO of sin. 
and uh, he's a, a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And so a lot of very terrible things can happen. But perhaps his greatest accomplishment is to basically convince us that his power is greater than it really is. Mm. Uh, but Satan does want to destroy what God wants to build. And so understanding how he speaks and how to differentiate his voice is very important to have the kind of life that you want to have. Every guy in this call is listening. Nobody's going to be listening to this podcast if they don't want to have a better life. And that if they're not tired of being tired. Right? Totally. Totally. And I think too, the, just the scriptures talk a lot about what we meditate on. And it, I think that we, we talk about this in our family leadership program, but the, the things that we let into our eyes and ears that we really have convinced ourselves are not that big of a deal, but it's crazy how much they will influence our life and our life direction. Just last night, one of my kids came down and they had heard something on TV that was not appropriate. And they had been meditating on that for the rest of the night. And then they were having trouble sleeping as they were thinking about that thing. And it was just such a, I knew exactly what they were talking about. Cause I was in the room, I was in the kitchen when they, when I heard it and it was really, I mean, it was a second, it was a second sentence that they heard. And yet that, that thought they just could not stop meditating on it. And and to think that that only happens to children would be naive of us and really yeah. foolish as, of us as men. Like the things that the music we're listening to, the things that we meditate on, the podcast, the news, the social media, the apps, the voices that we're letting in really do muddy the waters. When I'm trying to listen mm-hmm. to the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, like you said, there are some shouting voices that are not polite <laughs> yeah. uh, and wanting to to influence the direction of my life. Yeah, I don't think we want to tell anybody they can't see the new Top Gun movie or anything like that, but <laughs> yeah, we don't want to be legalistic about it. But, right. you know, the, of course, I haven't seen the movie. I don't know. No, but it's on my list. Yeah, I want to watch yeah, it. Yeah. I definitely want to watch it. And uh, Or The Lincoln Lawyer on Netflix, the series, you know. Mm. But, you know, uh, the depending on a man's personal maturity, spiritual maturity, is going to be able to approach things differently. A guy who is vulnerable, to sexual temptation, a guy who's vulnerable to negative thoughts, a guy who is vulnerable to not believing that people really care about him personally. You just have to be careful the places you put yourself if you are a, uh, especially if you're a broken boy, right? You have to be careful about the places you put yourself so that the temptations that you're dealing with are well within your own personal spiritual strength. Mm. How does somebody, you know, there's a guy listening right now who's he's trying to lead his family well. And he's like, you know, I got to, I recognize, okay, there, there are these four other voices trying to influence my thinking and my life, but I want to listen. I want to be a man who listens to the Holy Spirit, recognizes the voice of the Holy Spirit and obeys what the Holy Spirit is putting on my heart and mind. How does he do that better? How does he get better at learning and recognizing that the Holy Spirit is speaking to him and then being obedient to that? I have a friend who was uh, took a, a job as the CEO of a startup insurance company down in Palm Beach, and I'm in Orlando. So every Monday morning, he would drive down. It's three and a half hours drive, and then he'd come back on Thursdays, come to the Bible study and be with his family on the weekend. And he did that for a few years, and he was on his way down there. His name is David. One day, David was on his way down there on a Monday morning. And so he's leaving, you know, at uh, four o'clock so he can be at the office, you know, before eight. 
So at about 4.30 or whatever time it was, he, he heard a voice, call your dad. And he recognized it as something abrupt and distinct from his normal thought pattern. And he said, well, I can't call my dad. <laughs> you know, it's 4.30 a.m. About an hour later, he heard a voice, call your dad. And uh, he said, well, it's 5.30, I can't call my dad. About uh, half an hour later, the voice said, when are you going to call your dad? Now, this is the father from whom he had been estranged for well over a decade. Hmm. So he felt like at that point, this must be the Holy Spirit. And that he would be disobedient if he didn't act. And so not thinking that his father would answer the phone, he called him around 6 a.m. or something like that. His dad picked up the phone on the first ring. And he said, uh, Dad, this is David. Uh, he said, hi, son. And they had a little small talk. And then David invited him to come to a uh, prayer breakfast that we do every year as his guest and fully expecting his dad to diss him and ghost him and not have anything more to, to do with him. But instead, his dad said, David, I'd love to come to that. Hmm. Long story short, he did come. He received Jesus. Wow. He was able to be reconciled with his son. And David's sister, with whom the father was deeply, deeply estranged, even more so than with David, and they became this big, happy family. And actually, David's father sat at David's table, a table that he led for the final few years of his life. Wow. And that would have never happened if he hadn't wow. listened to that voice of the Holy Spirit. So how do you discern that voice? And uh, I've got several ways in the book I show guys how they can do a better job discerning the voice of the Spirit. In fact, half of the book is actually devoted to the voice of the Holy Spirit, cultivating the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's a relationship, it's a conversation. And uh, there's a little story I told you about right there. It's also obedience. So David was obedient to the voice right. and it radically transformed his entire family for generations to come. That wow. family, that entire family line will never be the same again because wow. he picked up that phone and called his father. Wow. That's powerful. I remember there was a season in my life where I was just trying to, I, I was asking Holy Spirit, speak to me. I want to be, I want to recognize your voice. I want to be in your words, recognize what your reputation is, you know, throughout the scriptures and throughout history. How have you talked to people in the past? Yeah. Uh, and I want to get familiar with the, with the voice of God. And then I just remember thinking like, even I remember even doing this as a teenager, whenever I felt that the Holy Spirit was prompting me, I just would do it because the worst case is that you're just wrong. You, it was your lunch, right? You just ate something weird and you, that wasn't the Holy Spirit talking to you. But but at least you're practicing. You're practicing the uh, quick obedience. That's what I, I just want to be quick to obedience, quick to obedience. And um, anyway, sounds like there's a lot of good nuggets in the book too that we need to pick up. Any final words for the young dad who's listening? He's like, man, I just, I'm trying to lead my family well. You said in the thirties is a great time to uh, start to make those shifts. Any, what would be your last and final words to, to a guy trying to do that? Well, okay. So the greatest lesson I ever learned, I mentioned this uh, little business crisis I had, which was in my mid thirties. And uh, it was one of my own making, by the way, made some stupid decisions. I sitting around in the rubble of all that. I called this time out. I mentioned earlier to try to get my life straightened out. And uh, that took about two and a half years of really being in, in the word, I was already reading the Bible, but really reading the Word, and that's what the two and a half years that led up to this, me understanding grace, the story we told at the beginning, 
uh, Pat, nothing you do will ever make you good enough for me to love you. I love you because I made you. Again, that's the voice of the spirit. So the upshot of all that is I was sitting around the rubble of all this and a thought went through my mind. I think it's the greatest lesson I've ever learned. I want, so I want to share it with your guys. And guys, see if this doesn't make sense. Here's the idea. There is a God we want, and there is a God who is. They are not the same God. Mm. And the turning point of our lives is when we stop seeking the God we want and start seeking the God who is. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. God is who he is. And I, I thought to myself, Morley, what were you thinking? Did you really think that any amount of you wanting to reinvent God in your imagination to be the God that you wanted him to be was going to have one iota of impact on his unchanging nature and character? And I realized that I've been trying to, to change God, but God wanted to change me. Yeah. And when I had that epiphany and started seeking the God who is at the uh, Let's just say that I was uh, 36, 37 years of age when all that happened mm. and uh, radically changed the, the, the arc of my life, my wow. family's life. Fortunately, the arc of some friends as well. Wow. Pat, you've put together a ton of resources, man. You've, uh, you've, you've really equipped the church really well, and you've equipped men really well to, to seek Jesus, to fall more in love with Jesus, and to lead their families well, to become men who... Uh, are better disciples of the Father. I know you're busy, but thank you for taking the time to hang out and share some of your wisdom with us today. It means a lot. Jared, absolutely a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Hope that episode was helpful for you guys as you stumble your way to be the spiritual leaders of your home. We have a couple weeks left to register for our, our retreat this fall. We'd love to hang out with you guys, get to know you. Go to dadtire.com forward slash retreat. Sign up for that. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Later. Thank you.